Lord, we call on your mighty name, and we thank you right now, Lord, that we can pray to you, that we can um, seek you, and we can ask for by your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our hearts to what you have for us to understand your word better. We need you. We need your revelation and for you to speak the words of life to us and into our uh, intellect that we know you better through all of this. And we thank you again, Lord, for all the time that Dane has spent. We just pray your uh, anointing and your blessing on this time. We pray for all of those that are here and your blessing on them and those that are not able to be with us right now. Um, we just uh, thank you for them and uh, lift them up to you. Um, and we give you this time right now in the name of Jesus. We pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. So this is uh, going to be Revelation chapter nine, and it's the second half of our trumpet judgments. Just like uh, for this judgments, the first four were connected, and then the last three were were uh, set. These last two are going to be a set before the seventh trumpet, which will open up the uh, bowl judgment. But with these trump judgments, it's specifically a polite, which means a sort of war being waged against the gods of this earth. Uh, that's very much the same uh, purpose that God had in the Exodus when he warred against the gods of the Egyptians, where we can see each of those 10 plagues taking aim at one of the gods which the Egyptians put their faith and put their hope in, showing that their gods were hopeless, uh, but the one true God is uh, mighty, omnipotent, and powerful over the entire creation. So we, uh, we're using this verse from Romans as kind of our key verse for understanding these Trump judgments, why this judgment is coming on the earth. It says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So this is a statement that is a blanket statement for the entire earth and all of humanity, even back in the first century. Uh, but it's just as true today as it was when Paul spoke it. So the first four uh, that we looked at were essentially naturalistic uh, or evolutionary views of um, of our gods it was essentially equivalent to mother nature worship uh, but in a more modern sense of naturalism evolution what we're going to encounter in the fifth and sixth trumpets are demonic uh, polemics which um, are essentially the demons that we worship rather than the non-entities that we worship so worshiping Mother Nature is worshiping something that is not there. But uh, occult practices, which are very prevalent even today, although we don't often think about them in our highly secularized uh, world, it's, more, it's likely that uh, the majority of people still hold some sort of uh, demonic or occult uh, religion in this world. And that can be anything from shamanism to using healing crystals or tarot cards. Um, that is essentially worship of demons. So we're going to start uh, in 
verse 1 of chapter 9. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. And sun and the air were darkened the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth. And power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. So these, uh, these words, like and as, are the Greek word hosts. And those introduce figurative language. This uh, chapter is the most figurative in Revelation. And we are using a literal hermeneutic or literal interpretation of the entire book of Revelation, just as we would with any other book of scripture. But when the context and the language specifies that something should be taken figuratively, we take that into account and uh, don't want to deviate from that. We would not want to interpret this literally when the text makes it clear that it shouldn't be. Uh, so this, like the smoke of a furnace, we're not looking at an actual furnace. And as the spins of the earth have power, we're looking for similarities. These are similes in the Greek language. Also, uh, to note that the power was given to them, it is not inherent to them. Remember, this is the judgment from God, which emanates from heaven, where power is given to other entities in order to do God's will on earth, even if they're used as divine uh, funnels for that, uh, for that judgment. All right, last point here is the star which fell. It had fall. This is in the perfect tense, which indicates that the action is already complete at the time that John sees it. So he's not watching a star fall to earth. He's watching a star which had fallen. It's possible that he did not even witness this fall. That's, uh, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying it's a star which has already fallen. All right. Uh, so you can hear where we are in our trumpet judgment. We're in uh, five and six with the seventh one being all of the bold judgments. And we remember that Jesus has power over death and Hades. We saw that all the way from chapter one. So this key that's given to this angel, uh, some people believe that Satan is the angel. People believe that Satan is the one who has the keys. This is not true because Jesus Christ has these keys this judgment is coming from Jesus Christ. Um, it, his power, if we remember all the way back to the seal judgments, his purpose in opening the seals, which this is part of the seventh seal, is to strip Satan from his power over this earth and take back the title deed of earth, which includes allegiance of the subjects of earth, which are kind. So it says, when I saw him i fell at his feet like a dead man and he placed his right hand on me this is john speaking of jesus saying do not be afraid i am the first and the last and the living one and i was dead and behold i am alive forevermore and i have the keys of death and of hades and uh this hades is probably what we're looking at here in the pit revelation 21 through 3 gives us a little more information about this pit it says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and great chain in his hand. Now, this is later. This is not the same key. It's the same angel, most likely. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, 
who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were complete. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So this, uh, there are multiple different areas of the underworld referred to in scripture. Uh, one of them, which is often confused for this pit, is called Tartarus, which we're told in 2 Peter and in Jude that this is uh, where the angels who sinned back in Genesis are kept until the time of judgment. This is not yet the time of judgment. It's not likely that what we are seeing here are those angels which uh, produced godlike children with man back in Genesis 6-4 those are likely to remain uh, bound until after the millennial king. What we have here is a bit abyss or the bottomless pit, uh, which is the abode of demons. Uh, so we're, we're looking at fallen angels, the underworld where demons or uh, fallen angels reside even now. And these locusts which will come out of this pit, uh, they do remind us of the eighth Egyptian plague, which uh, being consistent was uh, nearing the, the end of those plagues. So it would have been one of the more escalated plagues. Remember, they start out rather uh, mellow or mundane, and they get more and more extreme as they go along. The same with our trumpet judgments. Uh, so in Exodus 10, 14, we read, the locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled in all the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. They had never been so, had never been so many locusts, nor would there be so many again. For they covered the surface of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Thus, nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. We see here um, that these locusts, their primary uh, destruction was that of the plants and the living um, vegetation around Egypt. Their destruction was mostly not uh, towards human, but towards, uh, towards nature around the humans. But this is contrary to what these locusts in the end times will um, do. We see that the characteristic of these locusts um, from Egypt are not the same as the characteristics of the locusts um, which arrive here in Revelation. So in the next verses, verse 4 through 6 um, in chapter 9, we read, They were told not to hurt the grass earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree but only the men do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months, and their torment was like the torment of scorpions when it's a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. So just like in the sixth uh, seal, we see that Men will cry out, wanting uh, death, but death will flee from them. It is uh, probably speaking here of some supernatural uh, ceasing of the possibility of man dying, which 
does sound crazy to us, but we remember that revelation is not hard to understand. It's hard to believe. One commentator that I read this week says that even a bullet from a gun or impaling yourself on a knife would probably not result in death during these five months. That one of the judgments, one of the um, torturous things about this judgment is that no matter how hard you try, death will be impossible. Uh, also, these are torment like the torment of a scorpion. Scorpion venom produced some of the harshest pain on earth. So it's not necessary to read this as if it will look like a scorpion or if it will have particular characteristics of a scorpion. It's probably here speaking about the uh, excruciating nature of the pain that it will produce. That pain will likely be a little pain. Uh, the time period is five months. This is a natural uh, time period for locusts. They are usually present between May and September. Um, so it is five months. Uh, I was trying to, uh, one, one thought that I had is that this might be an escalation from the one-third, one-third, one-third we saw in the first four, where this is actually more than a third, where four months would have been a third year. This is more. Uh, as an escalation, but as, as we'll see in the second half of this chapter, which maintains that one pattern that it, it seems as if one third is just absent from this trumpet judgment. There's nothing that's restricted to one third alone. Uh, all right, so see that they are not permitted to kill. That means being this in the passive and no means are suggested that it is likely and if not probable that uh, this permission is a divine permission, where they are given permission to torment and not to kill uh, by God. Uh, it is not going to affect the sealed. Uh, there are two different seals spoken of in the New Testament. Uh, one is the seal of the believer. We read in Ephesians 1.15 that it is the work of the Holy Spirit to seal believers um, it says, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is probably not the same seal as the seal of the 144,000, which we saw back in Revelation 7. This seal um, is given to 144,000 um, Jewish, probably males, uh, during the period of the tribulation, but it's not given to them for the salvation. Their salvation will already have been secured through faith. This is given to them specifically to enable them for uh, their evangelistic purpose on earth during the time of the tribulation. So this is the seal of eternal salvation. This is the seal of um, a duty that they are to um, to be about during the tribulation period. So this is a specific 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, if you have questions about that, you can look back on our, our video from chapter seven. Uh, it's, uh, it's not clear here in chapter nine where the sealed during the tribulation will be protected uh, from the torments of these uh, locusts will be only these 144,000, or whether it will extend to all um, Christians. My 
inclination is to believe that it will be specifically these 144,000 because that is the only other seal uh, mentioned that is given to mankind on their foreheads during this tribulation period. So um, it's, it wouldn't go against scripture, but it wouldn't be the primary reading of chapter 9 to say that Christians won't be affected by this um, fifth trumpet. However, we can look back to Exodus and see that the children of Israel who lived in the land of Goshen during that time, not affected by the, uh, by the locust in, uh, during the Exodus, um, but that's, that's not necessarily um, something that we can read into this text. So we know for sure those 144,000 will not be tormented. That's probably because they're going about a very important duty of evangelizing, but it's not, uh, it's nowhere here in the text Christians will be uh, saved from that judgment. All right, this judgment is probably prophesied in the Old Testament. We saw that a lot of the first four trumps are nowhere specifically referred to in the Old Testament, that these would have been brand new revelation or at least mostly brand new revelation to John. But this fifth, um, fifth trumpet, being that it's, uh, it's uh, it will be quite memorable, does get almost an entire chapter in the Old Testament. Almost all of Joel 2 is dedicated to this um, event in the future. Uh, we'll read through that. It's 11 verses here. Um, so Joel 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will it be again after it. The years of many generations. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses, so they run. With the noise as of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble, like a mighty people arranged for battle. Before them, the people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like soldiers. And each march in line, uh, nor do they deviate from their paths. They do not crowd each other. They march everyone in his path. When they burst through the defenses, they do not break ranks. They rush on the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. Before them, the earth quakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. Who can endure it? So the... Uh, the characteristics of this army comes against uh, against the world here is not hewn by nature. Uh, there's references to them um, running up walls, climbing through windows, 
uh, even uh, some of the Greek alludes to the fact that they might not even be bound to the ground. They might be able to travel through the midair. Uh, it's uh, most unanimously among uh, commentators and among Bible students believed here that this is specifically referring to the fifth trumpet judgment. It's interesting that nowhere here they referred to specifically as locust, but I think the figurative language of the fifth trumpet is specifically relating back to uh, the judgments of Egypt, and that's why it's using this picture of a locust. It's using locusts to show the immensity of the swarm that will come upon the earth, but not necessarily defining their specific characteristics. So what does scripture say about their appearance? In verses 7 to 9, we read, The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. Uh, so before we, we move on and look at their specific characteristics over against their um, similes that are used to, um, to show what it would be like, because remember, John here is tasked with writing what he sees. And if he's seeing something that he has never seen before, is due to describe them in a way that his first century audience could understand what he's talking about um, is quite a heavy task. That's why we see so much figurative language in this passage, because it's probably something that he's never seen before. Uh, one thing I'd like to pull out of here before we move on is this, uh, they had hair like the hair of women. Um, some people think this just indicates long hair. Some people think it indicates uh, wings of something like a helicopter. Uh, lots of different options here. But if we are to relate these to the angels in Genesis 6-4, um, it is possible that they are using this to indicate some sort of attractiveness because in the Hebrew mind and Greek language, this wing hair is almost always in the context of beauty. So one way or another, there is probably something beautiful about these monsters. They're not as, um, as gross and nasty as they sound to look at. Um, so what do we know specifically about their characteristics? They'll have humanoid face. Uh, one way or another, they'll recognize as um, similar enough to humans. Uh, possible that they are attractive. Could be that their hair is long. They have literal teeth. Uh, they have literal breastplates. Uh, the breastplates like breastplate iron is probably indicating their toughness. They have noisy wings and they have tails which do have centers. So the first and probably one of the most popular views is that they indicate military equipment. Uh, this uh, I think has some of the most challenges to it. One, it it gives naturalistic cause, which is unwarranted in this passage. It is the judgment of God, not the judgment of man. It's not detailing specific wars, but it is the judgment of Christ directly from the throne room of God. It probably has a supernatural component to it, if not being entirely supernatural. 
Another one is the description doesn't actually adhere very well. If you were to look at this in the first century, uh, you would not probably give it the description that John gives it. Uh, possibly something more like a bird, the insect, uh, which possibly works here, but it seems more in effort to make the uh, make the Book of Revelation more believable rather than simply understandable. And it's uh, also contrary to the doctrine of eminency. And this is something we didn't talk about when we looked at the possibility of the great mountain falling into the ocean being a nuclear bomb. One of the problems with this is that this technology has not been available throughout history. Therefore, if that is the proper interpretation of this passage, it would make the doctrine of imminency, which is the, uh, the any day return of Jesus Christ, uh, not possible here. So we're going to be searching for some sort of explanation of this, which could have been present throughout any century following, uh, following the ascension of Christ and this revelation. The other option is literal locusts. Uh, most commentators um, who don't take the third view uh, usually take this view that they are sort of literal hybrid um, locust that does have a logical element to something we can find on this earth just mutated. Uh, the problem here is that locust is used descriptively and not literally in this chapter. Uh, their physical appearance and uh, activity is not the same as the locust which we see on earth where it's so much would change about present day locust to fit that description that it works just as well to uh, or basically it doesn't alleviate the problem of believability here it also fails to take into account any of the similes presented so it's it's ignoring the uh, the literary function of the words um, used in this chapter. And again, it's a naturalistic um, response. It's trying to find some sort of naturalistic answer to, uh, to what this is, where it would be just regular process of nature amplified. What we're looking at is specific judgments from God against the gods which this earth serves. And locusts can hardly be identified as a god which mankind serve. The third view is the most common, and it's also my view, uh, that this is some sort of demonic swarm, uh, which comes against mankind from out of the literal abyss. Uh, their description is understandably difficult uh, in that these demonic fallen angels something that John has not seen uh, physically. And uh, it is very possible for these fallen angels to be used as divine instruments of God, just like the Antichrist will be used as a divine instrument, so that they do the will of God, all their purpose is not for the will of God. All right, but even if they're fallen angels and demons, there's a couple possibilities as to form or what exactly that will mean for this earth. It could be that it's something entirely new that this earth has never seen before. Monic or the, uh, the angelic realm is very diverse. They're, they're not just depicted as humanoids wearing white gowns, but uh, the angelic zoology is very distinct. 
and you doubt that at all, just read the first couple of chapters of Ezekiel and you'll be terrified. <laughs> uh, here down in the bottom right hand corner, some of the attempts to, to depict the angels which are spoken of in Ezekiel and Isaiah's visions. Uh, one artist here up on the right has tried to depict what these um, demonic fallen angels will look like in their swarms. They've given very literal uh, depiction, so this this doesn't really fit well with the similes that they're uh, that they're using here in Revelation nine. But I think it's it's a decent depiction. Uh, but it's also possibly something that this Earth has seen before. Um, it could be something that's new to our generation or something that is present but not in large enough numbers to even be recognized by the scientific community. So it could just be something that our generation is not prone to accept as real. Uh, this is down at the bottom. Uh, what I think it was three or four years ago, this was going around the internet. Some people thought it was fake, perfectly possible that it is fake, probably more likely than anything else. But in Thailand, they've caught a couple creatures like this. It's just something that's interesting to take a look at. It's very possible that there are creatures on this earth that we're not fully aware of and haven't done all the studying that we can about them. New creatures are discovered every day. And the scientific community is not necessarily the most honest about what they've found. Uh, I think this year has proven that, if nothing else. Uh, but uh, I think is the most, uh, I think it's most likely that the earth is well aware of these creatures and that they have had contact with them throughout uh, earth's history and they've been chalked up mostly to lore where the Irish might view them as fairies or pigs. We might be more inclined to view them as aliens. Uh, the Japanese saw them as monsters. The uh, American Indians saw them as spirits. But uh, this is something that's fairly consistent throughout cultures which practice shamanism, which is overt occultism, that when you are in contact with these demons and worshiping them, they do make presence in your, uh, in your culture. So being that uh, after the flood, most of the, or in fact, all of the nations were divided and separated, and yet when they come together at later periods, they have mythology and lore, which is inexplicable, uh, but also very similar to one another. So no, I'm not saying I believe in aliens, monsters, spirits, and fairies, but I'm saying the world has, has produced these from somewhere. And to be honest, people are not creative enough to simply imagine these, but have probably come in contact with uh, demons. And, uh, yeah, more, more on that, but I do have, uh, a, actually, in this video, we'll have a couple different movie clips to show that the world is perfectly aware of this kind of activity, but Satan's goal is to make it unbelievable, so that someone presents revelation to you and says, you should believe this literally, they'll say, that's crazy, that sounds like a Hollywood movie. Well, that's Satan's domain as Hollywood and Hollywood movies. He's the king of this world. He is trying to inoculate us um, against the word of God. 
So we want to read this as literally as possible, taking into account the figurative language, but also keep an eye on the world and the culture. And what are they trying to uh, convince us does not exist or convince us does exist, but in a benevolent way, such as the modern push to um, believe in UFOs. Scripture is pretty clear. There's not another race of beings created by God besides aliens and men. Uh, but Satan is doing his due diligence to get us to believe in UFOs and aliens, probably so that when something like this occurs, there is a naturalistic explanation rather than turning to scripture, which is the only credible source. So we'll, we'll take a look at this. Um, like I said, I've got a few preview, but just one for now. That's actually a movie based specifically on the fifth uh, trumpet judgment. It was from back in 2014 or so, right around the same time as a couple other movies uh, appeared which made fun of revolution. There was Rapture Palooza with, uh, what was her name, Kendrick, where they, they just made fun of the, of revelation depiction of the end times, probably so as to inoculate the minds of mankind against uh, God's word. Another one is, this is the end, uh, came out around that time, which uh, does very similar thing. I, I could present either of those uh, previews because they're incredibly blasphemous and I did not want to do that. So this was kind of a darker preview which didn't have a comedy element to it but uh, just keep in mind Hollywood is state's domain not God's. All right so uh, these creatures are they? It's probably some sort of re, uh, re-emergence of Nephilim and um, this is a view that's kind of gained traction today. Uh, it does fit pretty well with what Revelation is describing. So in Genesis 6, 4, it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the, when the son of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men or old men of renown. Uh, if you look back to our failure under conscience video uh, for foundations, we did in like February or, or March. Um, we looked at what these sons of God were, identified them as aliens, or not as aliens, as fallen um, uh, angels. And that uh, what resulted from those unions of the fallen angels with, um, with the daughters of mankind were what we have passed down to us today as things like Greek mythology and, and lore from the old earth. 
as um, as some comic call they'll say it's the uh, the golden age between the fall of mankind and the flood where angel or angelic activity on the earth is a lot stronger uh, in second peter 3 uh, we're told that the earth prior to the flood uh, was different it implies discontinuity here and we'll see this discontinuity confirmed in the next verse as we look at so in second peter 3 know this first of all that in the last days mockers will come they're mocking following after their own lusts and pain where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens, earth, are being reserved for fire kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So that's essentially saying here that in latter times, people will say that Earth's history has been continual uh, in that the processes of science, the process of nature has, has not been distinguishably different today. What the Bible is saying is that's not true, that prior to the flood, Earth's um, realities that are true on Earth today are uh, not necessarily the same as before. In Genesis 8, 20 and 21, God gives us a promise that he will maintain a continuity during this earth um, that goes between the flood and final judgment of Revelation. So any time before that remains rather fuzzy, except what will get revealed to us from scripture. And with that scripture, we can interpret traditions that have been passed down throughout history. Now, these are the, uh, the common interpretations of these verses, including Revelation 9, up until the British Enlightenment and German higher criticism, so that it was throughout all of history interpreted one way, but when mankind stopped taking God seriously in any academic circles was when these started to gain naturalistic explanations. So we are entrenched today in a world that does not want to believe anything outside of a naturalistic explanation. And this is just one of those things where uh, God tells us angelic activity, demonic activity uh, was much uh, much more prevalent before and will be much more prevalent later than it is currently today. So this demonic polemic, uh, this is my brief summary here. It is clear the earth was once much different than it is today. The antediluvian, meaning prior to the flood, world was one of overt demonic activity in effort to sub-worship from God onto the fallen angel. Humanity remembered this dark epic through Noah down to Babel and took these stories with them to all ends of the earth. Not all demons are locked away in Tartarus. Many are still active today, and they are worshipped through occult practices like shamanism around the world. These gods which mankind worship are the very demons God will use to destroy them. Uh, so there was also demonic activity present in Jesus' day. 
in Luke 8, uh, we see him encounter a man possessed by demons. It says, and when he came out in, onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house, but in the tombs. Jesus, or seeing Jesus, cried out and fell before him, said in a loud voice, what business do you have with, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. And Jesus' response, not yet, uh, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break his bond and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons entered him. And the demon pleased with God, or with Jesus. Um, they were imploring him not to command them go away into the abyss. So they were begging Jesus Christ that when he casts him out of this man, not to send him back to the abyss. So we see that there is some sort of transitory uh, capabilities between the abyss and this earth. In Jesus' day, demonic activity was much more commonplace than it is today. This um, age of the church is uh, particularly characterized by a lack of angelic activity. Uh, at least in any overt sense where we can see it. You'll notice as you go through uh, Gospels, especially the Gospel of Mark, that people of this age are not necessarily batting an eye to these demonic, um, uh, uh, what's it called? That when, huh? uh, when a demon enters into a person. Manifestations? Yeah, these possessions. possessions. When there is a demonic possession in the Gospels, we don't see one freaking out trying to find a naturalistic explanation for it. We don't say, see them saying, oh my gosh, this has to be a demon. It's the first one I've ever seen. Uh, rather, it was not commonplace, but also uh, not something that was largely denied in that period of time. And that's because this was a lot more prominent in that day and age. And we see that the Bible states that as this is what was happening. Um, it doesn't ever say that the people thought it was a demon, but it wasn't a demon. Um, the person just had some sort of a mental episode. Scripture confirms the fact that these were demonic possessions um, and that the people were familiar with them. Uh, in Matthew 12, this is uh, after the Pharisees and the first century Jews have um, have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. We see uh, from Matthew 12 and on that Jesus Christ no longer offers the kingdom of heaven to the Jews, but rather he begins to train his apostles for the commencement of the church. But this is part of this uh, reprimand to the, the Jewish people after he says uh, to them, the queen of Sheba is going to stand in judgment. The, the people of Nineveh will stand in judgment against first century Israel because they received only a fraction of the revelation that Israel received, and yet they believed, but, um, but Israel remained unbelief. This is the very last of what he says to them. 
And when he's speaking to them as a generation, he's speaking about the entire first century Israel, but Israel also um, is a contiguous body of um, God's saved people. Where, um, we'll, we'll read this and then I'll discuss it a bit. So now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state, that man, becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. Now, when Christ came to earth and demonstrated who he was, he used miracles to do that. He used miracles associated with the kingdom that he promised in order to show that he has the power to bring that kingdom to earth. And one of those miracles was passing out spirits, where these demons were present in the people of Israel. He was casting them away. What he's telling them here is all these miracles that you've seen me do, including casting out these demons, they're gone for a time because I cast them out. But when they return, they're coming back sevenfold. I think this is looking forward to the last days where God's specific purpose is to turn the people of Israel back towards him. In Deuteronomy 17, uh, or Deuteronomy 4, in Deuteronomy 17, it says that Israel's duty is to crown God's chosen as the king, that until they do that, um, Christ will not return during the tribulation. So this demonic return in the last days is one of the events which will turn Israel's faith back towards God. Uh, so the purpose or the reason why we don't see this kind of activity uh, cropping up in the same way today or through the last 2,000 years, why we uh, today are less likely to believe that demonic activity is present on this earth is probably uh, because of the activity of the Holy Spirit on this earth. In 2 Thessalonians, it refers to the Holy Spirit as the restrainer, that it is holding back evil evil which would otherwise be flooding this earth so do you not remember that while i was still with you i was telling you these things and you know that what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way and if you look back to resurrections video uh, this he is taken out of the way we saw that as um, happening at the same time as the rapture and resurrection of the church and those who died in Christ. Uh, so the result of this in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, and we'll just read through 10 here. Then that list one will be revealed, the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, all power and signs and fall wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. All right, so the final uh, description of their appearance says that they have tails, scorpions, um, and there are stingers on those tails. 
and in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months, they have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek has the name Apollyon. Both of these words mean destroyer. Abaddon is the Hebrew word for destroyer, and Apollyon, the Greek word. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Um, this angel of the, the abyss, he's not mentioned anywhere else. Some have identified him as Satan, another as a powerful, uh, a powerful uh, fallen angel, such, uh, such as Satan himself was uh, a very mighty angel before he fell. It's possible that there are other mighty angels which fell who were um, similar in power to Satan, but not the leader of the rebellion. It could be referring to one of these angels. Another has suggested that it even be a uh, angel which has not fallen. I find this unlike since his name is Destroyer. Um, however, it's, it's not impossible that this is an angel which God has put in charge of the abyss. Uh, so we do see that even though the Holy Spirit does restrain evil, that evil is still present here on earth. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This heavenly places is speaking of the second heavens, not the third heaven, which is um, the, re uh, the residence of God, the first heaven, which is our uh, inside our atmosphere, or rather the third heaven, which refers to outer space or the domain of uh, the fallen angels and demons. We also see that, uh, that Satan is the current ruler of this world. In John 14, we read, you heard that I said to you, I go away and will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced as I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love Father, I do it. Exactly as the Father commanded me. You see that the ruler of this world um, is not at all um, related with Jesus Christ, but rather when he comes again, he's taking the rule away from his hands. And in 1 John 5, he's a little more explicit about that. He says, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourself from idols. John's, uh, John's study to his entire first epistle is um, to guard themselves from idols. I think these demonic entities are some of those idols which John has in mind. So sorry for our fifth trumpet. The fifth trumpet escalates the polemic against the gods of this earth. The occult forces which mankind has worshipped are released to torture those who have worshipped them since the beginning. A supernatural inability to die will also accompany this judgment. These occult spirits are not new to our understanding. They are probably what inspired what today is dismissed as legend and lore. Uh, because this is 
probably a more controversial uh, reading of this chapter. Here's a couple uh, books that might help understanding where this view comes from. Uh, one is The Judgment of the Nephilim by Ryan Peterson. He has another book coming out soon uh, called The Final Nephilim. Uh, he also has a chapter in the book Lawless, uh, which is about a lot of the occult practices that are very prominent today. Uh, very good chapter. Uh, another one I have in a later slide is uh, a podcast episode, which he did on a podcast channel called Blurry Creatures, uh, where he speaks more about that, the end times. Um, the Beautiful Sight of Evil was a very popular book back in the 80s by Johanna Michael, her personal encounter with the occult in Mexico. Nazi Ecology by Mark Musser uh, talks a lot about the cult practices of Hitler's Nazi party. Hitler in the New Age, Bob Rosio, and King of the Occult by, by Jill Martin Rishi, the daughter of Walter Martin Rishi, or Walter Martin, who wrote The Kingdom of the Cults. All right, the sixth bit, uh, Revelation 9, 13 through 21. Uh, 